the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper in the Bus. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we are finally finishing up our discussion of the updated consensus rankings. But first, as always, we are going to talk the most interesting player alive today. And actually, this one is a bit of a cheat because the real most interesting player alive today is somebody we will get to shortly in the show. And the number two guy is Miguel Cabrera, and there's really nothing to say about him other than the fact that he's pretty, pretty good, and he shouldn't have won the MVP last year. But that's all behind us. So this is the number three guy who's most searched for on Fangraphs, and that is Brandon Belt, who is finally showing the power here in May. He's got a 302 isolated slugging. And he's got four home runs in 53 at-bats. Eno, is this a guy who finally should be starting on a mixed-league team? I, I think that he's um, I think he's more of a, a, a utility guy. Uh, just because, you know, the, the power uh, for a first baseman is not quite there. And depending on a first baseman for, for steals... Um, you know, when they, when they don't have a great batting average, it is, uh, is I think, a d- iffy proposition. I, I think mostly Belt steals when the situation allows him to sort of take one for free. I don't think that he's out there thinking about it. I mean, I talked to Eric Hosmer just this week about his stolen base game, and he was kind of laughing about it. He was just like, yeah, whatever, I steal base every now and then. He wasn't like, I, I really study hard and think about you know, base stealing and think about, you know, pitchers moves and stuff. So um, I think that belt. Uh, so if you so if you're talking about a batting average, I don't think it's going to be great. And if you're talking about stolen bases, I think it's only going to be occasional. So now you're talking about power and his power isn't um, isn't elite or even, you know, sort of average for um, his position. So at, at Util, Yeah. And I really like the way that he turned around that inside fastball for a home run. Uh, I think it was yesterday. So that was really uh, something I like to see. Well, Belt is now actually on pace for more than 20 home runs, and he does got two steals. So you brought up Eric Hosmer, which is actually a great comparison. And if people still are starting Eric Hosmer in mixed leagues, uh, hoping for a turnaround, hoping for maybe like a 15-15 season, isn't Brandon Belt basically the same as Hosmer except with more power? So if you think that Hosmer would turn things around, I don't know if you do. I don't know if you think he should be a corner guy or a starting utility guy. I feel like maybe you might be more optimistic about Belt, given the more uh, the greater power output. I yeah, I do think so. I mean, yeah, we're, you can't really pencil them into either of them into many more than ten steals. So um, yeah, and I do believe in in Belt's sort of approach a little bit more right now. Um, and uh, and they both have sort of iffy power, and, and Belt's showing a little bit more right now. So I think I uh, I don't know. I'd have to look at my rankings. I hope I put Belt ahead, but I probably didn't. Yeah, uh, probably didn't either. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the thing with Belt is that he's he's a he's a one man show for why power is such is such a difficult thing in fantasy baseball because you know he goes 
months without a home run. I mean, literally months. He's gone. He's he went like two months last year where he hit one home run, I think, and uh, combined. So you know, then you think, oh, he's got no he's got no power at all. And then he hit like four or five in September. And if you did that all year, then you'd think that he was he was a, a normal power hitting first baseman. So um, I'm hesitant to say that he's going to hit 20 plus, but. I will say that at some point this year I was worried that he would hit 12 plus. Yeah. So now I feel like, you know, if he hits 18, 19, 20, 21, steals 8 to 10, uh, then you've got a very, very good um, uh, utility guy, especially since the, the ba- batting average around the major leagues right now is like 250. So he's going to beat that. Yeah, the interesting thing about Belt also is that he was one of the spring training surgers in power. And I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, one of our first Sleeper in the Bus podcasts was comparing Brandon Belt, Justin Smoke, and Yonder Alonso. All three of those first basemen uh, had been breakout candidates in the past, had been disappointing, but then had spring training power surges. And so far, Yonder and Belt uh, are actually seeing an uptick in power. And so that spring training surge has translated, making me think, huh, maybe that was for real. Maybe that was a power surge that we shouldn't have ignored. So given that his power actually looks like it was in 2011, he's obviously showed much better power in the minor leagues. This looks like maybe it is for real. Maybe we can finally get a 2010 season at a belt, making him worth a decent amount in the mixed league. I think so. I think uh... – you know, I see. I saw some projections that had him as a double-digit player at utility um, in Autonew, and I think that sort of deal, um, that sort of deal makes makes sense now. Yeah. All right. Let's move along to our rankings. And first, what I really want to discuss: Jeff Zimmerman's rankings are getting slammed in the comments. And while I kind of understand it, I don't think it's warranted. So why don't you explain? how Zimmerman goes about ranking the players, what he does, and why they are included in the consensus. Yeah, I mean, people are asking a lot for the sort of why behind uh, each of our rankings in a way. Um, And, uh, you know, I guess I could put like, you know, a full, you know, paragraph about each of our, um, each of our different approaches. but you know the thing is that some of that changes from the preseason to the to the to the midseason because uh, in the preseason you have your own projections. Sanders has his own projections, um, and it doesn't seem that weird that yes, Jeff Zimmerman's projections are based on a, a, a blend of zips and steamer that he that he's come up with. Um, so you know in the preseason everyone's got their projections except for me pretty much, and I'm the one who's intuitive and looks at the sort of zip space rankings and then, you know, picks guys I like and moves them up a little bit and moves them down a little bit based on the projections, but still, still based on the projections are more intuitive than you guys. But in season, we all become a little bit more intuitive and that's why, you know, I guess we get less flack is because people can tell that we're moving guys up and down based on, you know, our sort of sense of these players. Yes, based on stats, but we're moving them a little bit more intuitively. And and Zimmerman stays in the sort of projection field. So what he does is he has a blend of zips and steamer rest of season projections, um, and he just sticks with those. And I think that it's very valuable. Um, and 
it's very valuable to have on the site. And I think it's very valuable to me to, to keep my, keep me reined in and keep me from, from moving a guy too far because the projections are based on, you know, our research and the numbers that are out there. And my intuition can, uh, can get a little excited about a player. Yeah, I think Zimmerman's rankings are absolutely needed for the consensus because really, as you basically just mentioned, they serve as a reality check that's completely needed so we don't overweight slow and fast starts. For example, John Buck obviously had a torrid uh, April and... Maybe one of us, you know, who's a Mets fan, you know, maybe, you know, you were watching all of the Mets games and you got a good feeling about how Buck looks. I mean, he was hitting cleanup. Maybe you, you know, it, it wouldn't be unreasonable if you overrated his start and, and moved him up higher than he ought to be. And Zimmerman's ranking is uh, meant to be used as a reality check to, as you said, to rein you in. And so it doesn't... Uh, basically weight your rating of Buck uh, too highly. And uh, I think that's very necessary. Although, of course, these steamer and zips projections uh, in season are a bit flawed, just because I think they're a little slow to react to clear changes in uh, a player's skill. For example, I don't believe they're aware of a pitcher's swinging strike rate rate uh, changes or his first strike percentage changes or his own percentage changes. And all of these things stabilize fairly quickly and could indicate a change in skill level. The projection systems aren't aware of that, and they may, may be slow to react and, and change their projections. So I think that's a, uh, a flaw that we can see and we can uh, incorporate into our rankings. But one suggestion, you know, is I think maybe changing Zimmerman's rankings to not call them Jeff Zimmerman rankings because nobody reads the intros clearly and they're all yelling at Jeff. So I think maybe just calling them zip slash steamer blend and then in the intro say that Zimmerman actually does the work for them. I think maybe that would be better and it would lead to much fewer misunderstandings in the comments. That might be interesting. I mean, I'd like to see what Zimmerman thinks about this because, um, you know, I think the, the one thing that I really uh, did not like was the uh, idea that he's that he's not working hard. On yeah, that was cra that was that really annoyed me because he probably takes the most amount of time to come up with his rankings because he has to blend all these projections. Yeah. I just look at my last rankings and then I move players based on injury and performance and stuff, and he's got to redo everything. Yeah, I mean, there was one comment that was like, "Oh, you know, I'm just gonna call up Zips and I'm done." I yeah. mean. I'm lazy. I, I don't put the work in. You know, I'm I don't think that in. person I knows. I don't put the work in. Like really? I don't think that person knows what it means to just call up Zips and your <laughs> your rankings are finished. I mean, uh, Zimmerman actually populates uh, pretty much our entire uh, player base by doing queries. Um, he finds the players, then he he runs them. You know, runs our projections in Zips and Steamer, and then he has his own proprietary way of blending those two, and then he runs it through Sanders. Um, uh, auction value calculator to get the ranking. So I feel like, you know, there's a lot of different processes there and it does take him time and I very much appreciate it. So if Zimmerman wants to have his name on there, then I'm okay with it. If, if it requires uh, a little blurb about how, you know, how we do our rankings uh, that I can copy and paste into each intro, that's fine. Um, maybe that's what it is, but, uh, or maybe we, we change the name. I don't know. I'll talk to him about it. And uh, it's a, it's an interesting idea. 
um, maybe he will feel like it deflects a little bit of the blame from him onto just the projection system. So. Yeah, yeah. so people don't say, what is Jeff Zimmerman smoking? I'm not going to follow his rankings anymore. And people will misunderstand how they actually were created. Instead, <laughs> instead blames Teamer and Zips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, all right, let's let's actually get to the starting pitcher consensus ranks that were posted yesterday morning, and the most searched for pitcher or the most searched for player overall was actually Patrick Corbin. And I didn't want to talk about him in the beginning since I figured in context it made more sense to talk to him uh, about him now uh, relating to the consensus ranks. And oh my God, seriously, so. He has two starts this week, including the start yesterday in Coors Field. I have him in one league. I benched him this week. Who mm. knew he was going to pitch an absolute gem yesterday in Coors Field? Not I. And and that really pissed me off. But Yeah, I benched him in a daily league. At least I've got him for his next one. <laughs> yeah, he had a good matchup. I think he faces the Padres in his next start or some uh, weaker offense, which he's probably going to pitch another gem. But... He uh, was ranked uh, consensus 66. You had him 51. I had him 61. Not too far apart. Zach had him all the way down at 94. So what are we thinking here? Because, I mean, he looks like almost the exact same pitcher as he was last year, almost an identical Sierra. Uh, Everything looks about the same. And it just looks like a whole heaping of good luck uh, to balance out last year's bad luck. Yeah, you know, and just, you know, beyond just the peripherals, if we're talking about, you know, his, his skill set. Um, it's an interesting one. I think it's really interesting because it kind of Miley esque, um, you know, and it's other diamondbacks pitcher. These, both of these guys have good control, uh, bordering on elite, but just good control. I wouldn't say it's quite, you know, Cliff Lee esque. Um, they get some ground balls, but they're not, you know, you know, Sierra, the, the, the work behind Sierra, Matt Swartz found that it's a bigger deal to have, 50, 55, 60% ground ball than it is to have, you know, 45, 46, 47. There are these increasing returns. And so, you know, Corbin's career ground ball rate is 47%. It's okay. Um, you know, his, his career uh, walk rate is 229 per nine. That's pretty good. Uh, his career strikeout rate is seven per nine. That's, eh. You know, so it's like, if you look at his skill and you look at his arsenal's 91 mile an hour fastball, slider okay change you know none of these things says to me that he's uh an ace or you know or or a one or two in in real life and they in fantasy if he's not a one or a two then he's a three four five back end guy in fantasy yeah and you know what's interesting is you brought up wade miley and wade miley is actually in the consensus ranked uh, a bit ahead of Corbin, but that's entirely due to zach sanders sanders ranked corbin 94th but Miley 47th, and and that is really uh, what is causing the slight difference in ranking between the two. But the three of us, or the three others, basically rank Corbin and Miley similarly. Well, I guess I'm a little less optimistic on Miley than than you and and this Zips and Steamer projections. But I like Corbin, and uh, I like his velocity. I don't, I don't see them as functionally very different. Do you? Uh, I, I like Corbin better than Miley, personally. Uh-huh. And uh, I like his swinging strike rate is up. Uh, first strike percentage 
is I don't have the leaders up, but it's 71% has got to be at or near the league leaders. So I do like Miley, but he's obviously been extremely lucky. And I still like, uh, I said Miley, I like Corbin. And I still don't think Corbin is any better than he was last year. And I basically like him just as much as I did in the preseason, which is more than everybody else, basically. So at this point, I'm going to be shopping him as hard as I can, but he still should deliver decent value in mixed leagues all year because I think he is a pretty good pitcher. And last year was just a, a matter of bad luck and inflated home run to fly ball ratio, inflated Babbitt, and that luck has completely turned the opposite direction this year. Yeah, it might be he might be a, a, a more uh, pressing sell high in keeper leagues where his uh, sort of mediocre velocity might not stand up to uh, aging. Um, and he might, uh, and, you know, then he might give up a few more home runs in Arizona and, you know, might not have the greatest career. But, um, I mean, obviously in real life, he's, he's a great find for, for Arizona and he's definitely helping them shore up the back end of the rotation. And in redrafts, if you can't, if you can't sell him for, you know, to somebody as a one or a two, then keep him as a three or a four and, and just, you know, beef up your innings and, and, you know, he's not going to make you fall behind in strikeouts. He's not. He's not, you know, terrible there. He's probably right around average, so he's he's worth owning. Yes. All right. Let's move along to another lefty. And uh, this morning I published an article. Matt Moore is the sell highest starting pitcher. I like making up words, and highest was obviously uh, a made-up word, but I think it should be a word. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance, you know, to read the article, but is he? Do you think he is basically? the best sell-high candidates among all starting pitchers. I mean, obviously, Corbin has probably been luckier, but clearly you're not going to be able to get the return that you can get for Matt Moore. Man, I... <laughs> I read that, and I totally, like, like logically and, uh, you know, with my brain piece, like, I totally, totally agree with all of your points. Um and even watching him, it's clear that he hasn't quite um, he hasn't quite fixed all of his control problems for sure. Uh, my problem is that I, I guess I believe the strikeout rate a little bit more than you, and it's and it's to me he still has sort of drool worthy stuff. Um, and you know, with my work. On uh, walk rates, there, there, you can turn, you know, really great stuff into, um, into, into, into fewer walks, um, even if your first strike percentage, you know, isn't great, uh, or, or the worst in all of baseball. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But it was average last year, and he still had a walk problem. So he's getting to the same amount of walks in a different way. Um, but uh, and we still haven't yet figured out how quickly first strike rate stabilized. So that is uh, something on the to-do list. I will say that uh, I will take the under on his uh, rest of season projections, which are about 3.8 uh, and 1.3 in terms of ERA and WHIP. Um, I'll take the under on those. I, I think that he can he can do better than that. Um, I just. It's I guess it's an emotional thing. It's based a little bit on his like minor league strikeout rates, um, and just watching him, I think his stuff is great. So I don't uh, I don't have a great answer for you. Well, what about I mean 
how about the velocity decline? Because if you look at the baseball info solutions velocity, his fastball is down nearly two miles an hour. Not as much on the pitch FX. Well, his two seamer is is down two miles an hour. The uh, the four seamer is down one point seven. But whatever you look at, I mean, that's a significant decline in velocity. And like I said in the article. Sometimes young pitchers with control problems take something off of their fastball in order to improve their control. But that's not what Matt Moore is doing. His control looks worse than it was last year. And so how concerned are you about this velocity decline? Well, you know, I did see a piece uh, in the community blog uh, that was about, you know, the there was a range that was basically from 90 to 94 um, where – there wasn't a functional difference um, in velocity, so that you know dropping from 93 to 92 wasn't that big of a deal, uh, but dropping from like 90 to 89 or 88, and dropping from like 96 to 94, that was those are big deals. Hmm. Over the course of his career, Matt Moore has dropped close to 96 to within that range. So, you know, perhaps those minor league strikeout rates were built on a 96 mile an hour fastball, and now he only has one that's in that sort of normal range, the 90 to 94. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't base it all of my love on him on the fastball. In fact, um, I think his other pitches are better. So, um, you know, and we also know that starters are better equipped to deal with velocity loss than relievers. So, uh, you know, just by altering his pitching mix and, and, and throwing those other pitches more in different counts and stuff, he can, he can definitely um, deal with that a little bit. Uh, we also know that his that the, his coaching staff and the defense behind him are going to be put in the right places to have a good Babbitt. I mean, we've seen Hellickson do that for a while, and I know he's not doing that this year. But you know, these and also Babbitt doesn't quite stabilize within one year. So um, I think this is going to be a really great year for him. I, I actually am kind of curious about Moore and. I want to bring his name up to Jeff Zimmerman to look into possible injury issues because he's been trumpeting the decline in zone percentage stat as uh, uh, an early indication of injury. And we see Matt Moore's zone percentage is down this year along with velocity. So I'm just wondering if Zimmerman looked at him and and what he can glean in terms of uh, possibility of an injury. Obviously, we haven't heard anything, but a lot of the metrics suggest that, uh uh-oh, is there something wrong? So uh, I'll bring that up to him, and we'll see what Zimmerman finds. But I want to move on. Speaking of Zimmerman, I had Jordan Zimmerman on my list as well. Uh, clearly, I always seem to like him less than everybody else because I'm I'm basically looking at his expected metric, uh, expected ERA metrics like Sierra, which he continues to outperform. What does this guy do that every year he's outperforming his Sierra? I mean, how is he stranding? such a high rate of base runners every single year. And is there any reason to expect that to continue? Because I think that with his skill set, his skill set is mediocre. I mean, he doesn't strike out a lot of batters. He obviously has great control, but and he, he's inducing a bunch more ground balls this year. But he can't continue to strand this high rate of base runners. And so I think that's got to end at some point, and, and that's reflected in my ranking. Yeah, he must he must be a, a high edge guy or a, or a pop up guy or something because um, and and you know it's so obvious why uh, there's such a disconnect um, you know in the rankings and the and the reactions is you know strikeouts are really important and people think you know oh you can get him back elsewhere or oh he's so great 
But, you know, if you fall behind on strikeout rate, you know, those are innings that are going away. And those, you know, when he pitches, yes, they're great innings, but so far, but, you know, at, at a six strike, at a six, you know, per nine strikeout rate, you're basically giving up a strikeout and a half um, every nine innings that he pitches. Uh, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it, you know, it adds up over the course of the season. If you had a staff of Jordan Zimmerman's, you know, you would be well behind a staff, you know, of similarly ranked pitchers with eight or nine strikeouts per nine. So, um, it's you got to use your innings. They're precious, and you got to use your innings as best you can. And you know, I guess our bet is just that, you know, that his that his steamer rest of season projections are are are, are more true than his zips ones. That he's going to have a mid three ZRA, and he's still only going to strike out six per nine. Um, because at that point, he's not he's not that exciting. Yeah, and Zimmerman actually. Um makes me think of Clay Buckholtz in that Buckholtz in the past has seemingly had really good stuff, can throw in the mid-90s with his fastball, a great curveball, a great changeup, and yet it never translated to a high-swinging strike rate or a high strikeout rate. Same thing for Zimmerman because when you watch him pitch, it looks like his stuff is quite good. He can get up into the mid-to-high 90s with his fastball. He has a good slider. He's got the secondary pitches. But he just doesn't miss bats, and I don't know why. So you wonder if that's ever going to come, and it hasn't so far, so you can't assume that it suddenly will. Um, so at this point, uh, those missing strikeouts are going to hurt his fantasy value. But uh, I think that's it right now for the updated starting pitcher rankings. And I, I want to get to a bull and bear, and we're actually going high-tech for the first time here on the sleeper on the bus. So let's move into our bull and bear. <laughs> now that is a scary sound. I don't think I would want to be left in a room with an animal that sounds like that. All right. So I love it. More more sound effects. <laughs> All right, so I want to talk about, for the Bull and Bear, Mike Miner, and you ranked him 26th, which was a shock to me that he was that high, but he was also higher than Matt Cain for you. I ranked Mike Miner 54, so clearly here, you're a bull on Mike Miner, and I'm a bear. So explain this to us. Why do you like Mike Miner so much, and why do you like him more than Matt Cain, who you admitted has peripherals? right in line with previous seasons? Uh, I mean, uh, well, all right, moving on. No, 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 no. (laughs) Here's the thing. Uh, there, there have been peripherals that minor has beaten Kane on in recent times. Um, and you know, if we're going to say that these guys are going to pitch their peripherals, then, in you know, it, depending on what season you're looking at, Miner could beat Kane. Um, there's a certain amount of there are things that he's doing this year that I really like, um, and that I do think that he can continue to do. Uh, and and one of the things I really like is that there's sort of progression. So when he first got into the league, he had an average uh, strikeout, uh, average walk rate, but 
you know, the league, but he had a history of better, better walk rates in the minors. So then the second year through the league, he had a better than average walk rate, you know, and then this year he has a great walk rate. So that's something I really like to see. Um, and I don't see, you know, for a guy that strikes out eight per nine, I don't see that um, a 240, I mean, yes, a 240 Babbitt is not, is not really sustainable, but he had a 252 Babbitt ball last year. So um, I think that he got unlucky on home runs this year, and this year he's, he's just about right on home runs. So if his, if his Babbitt regresses, I'm going to say that it regresses more like he's, he, it's like a 260 or 270 Babbitt going forward. That's another thing that Matt Swartz found in Sierra was that strikeout rate is related to Babbitt. Well, the Sierra formula then takes that all to, into account, and his Sierra is 360, which is clearly pretty solid. But it's well above his 278 ERA, and that's built upon a 1.9 walk rate, which I don't think is sustainable. I mean, his first strike percentage is up. It looks good. It's nearly 65%. But for a guy who's never done it, never shown in the past that he has the ability to post a sub-2 walk rate, you got to assume some regression back into at least the mid-2s, which would push his Sierra back closer to 4. And and then his skill set would look... Not too different from Matt Cain himself, but Matt Cain in many past years has proven that he could outperform his Sierra significantly. He's always posted low BABIPs. He's always posted low home run per fly ball ratios. Mike Miner hasn't proven that he could. And his left on base percentage right now is at 82%. There's no way that's sustainable. So the base runners are going to start to score. And Miner's ERA is going to jump into the mid to high threes. Uh, very soon, which is going to make him a lot less valuable than Matt Cain, in my opinion. Yeah, but you know he's throwing the best swing strike rate of his career, other than the uh, the first little sample. Um, and you know, as once again, I'm going to take basically the updated lines as his rest of season lines is basically what I'm saying. So I think that he can pitch to about a three six ERA going forward uh, with a sub one two WHIP. Um, and can I can I say that I'm sure that Kane will do that? No, because I'm not sure that Kane, true talent, was supposed to do that all all the all those years. So um, it's very similar. Uh, it's very similar in in certain ways. Uh, they're both fly ball guys, um, you know. And I think what's happened is that Miner sort of underperformed his abilities for the last couple of years, and Kane overperformed. And so I think that the difference looks bigger than it is. All right, let's move on quickly to our updated outfielder consensus rankings that we published on Friday. And the first guy I wanted to talk about is Bryce Harper because the three of uh, three of you guys all ranked him number six, and I was the outlier ranking him at 11. And there's really one reason for my number 11 ranking. Clearly, all the skills here look great. They were improved from last year. Obviously, they seem legit just because we know how good Bryce Harper was supposed to be. But he only has one steal. And if this is only a 10-steal guy rather than a 20-steal guy, that takes a cut out of his value and I think puts him closer to my ranking than number six. Do you think his steals are going to rebound at all? Yeah, it's not great to see that he's been caught twice in three in three attempts. That's true. Um but, you know, in 2011, he stole 19. Well, he actually stole uh, 23, 30. He stole 30 bases across three levels in 2011. Uh, last year, he stole 19. Uh, to go from 30 to 19 to 10 um, at his age, where, you know, 
he's super young. I just don't think that it's I don't think it's happening just quite yet. Uh, I think that he'll uh, he'll he'll find some reasons to steal some bases later. I just really love his contact rate. Um, I mean, his, his contact rate is actually about the same, but I really love his strikeout rate. Just taking that nosedive, um, and uh, I'm you know before I was worried a little bit about his batting average. You know, before last year and just sort of as a prospect, I worried about his swing being sort of high high effort, sort of violent, and having a bit of a you know a strikeout rate attached to it. Um, but he's showing that even though he whiffs uh, a fair amount, he can show a good strikeout rate. Yeah, the, well, the concerning things for me, see, he's hitting way too many ground balls this year, and his home run per fly ball ratio is over 30%. Obviously, that's not sustainable, and so his home run rate is going to drop. But, I mean, all the other signs look good and, and look legit. But, I mean, without 15 or so steals, I think it's going to be tough for him to be the number six overall outfielder. I want to touch on one last guy. Uh, and on Monday, I published an article on BJ Upton, Upton. And he's a guy that we would label as not a sleeper, not a guy to buy low on. So where did we rank him? He was 31 in the consensus. And uh, I guess it's kind of funny that I was the most optimistic of the three who don't use the projection systems, I was at 26. You were at 46. So judging by your ranking, it seems that you would agree that he's not somebody that you're looking to buy low. I think this just goes back to my, uh, I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to batting average risks. Um, I just, I just find myself always protecting a batting average and I almost never punt it. Um, in head to head leagues where I could punt it, he might be more attractive, but we're doing this for five by five roto, and in five by five roto, I'm, I feel like I'm always protecting a batting average. Even if I'm doing well in batting average, I'm not willing to give up points and pick up a guy that, even if he goes well, is probably going to hit two thirty or two forty the rest of the way. So um, I do recognize that he has power and speed, and just last year he hit twenty eight homers and thirty one stolen bases. So I don't think he's going to drop, you know he's going to drop into single digits uh, in both of those. So um, I think at some point he'll have to get it going, but the strikeout rate is the worst of his career. The whiff rate is the worst of his career. He, he's come out of funks like this before, but um, I don't, the batting average doesn't just doesn't, I don't, doesn't excite me. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that batting average to get those homers and steals. All right. Last question before we wrap things up. I mentioned that why I didn't like him was I think he's going to have a very, very difficult time moving back up into a favorable slot in the batting order that would help his RBI and run scored. Do you agree with that? Is it going to be really hard for him to move into a, a better lineup spot? And is he basically destined for hitting seventh or eighth the rest of the year, which is going to kill his fantasy value? Well, I mean, he's still walking 10%. I always thought that his walk rate would bounce back. Um, and I do know that the, the, the Braves were looking for um, a leadoff type hitter in the offseason. So um, I don't actually think – I think that if he did get going again, you'd see him atop the order. What? Uh, move your boy Angelton Simmons down to the bottom? How dare you? Well, I think Hayward could be a uh, Hayward could be a, a three-hitter. Um, you know, so I don't, uh, I don't think that – uh, that's such a big deal. Um, you know, you could still have Simmons and Upton at the top of the order. Um, but, um, yeah, with McCann coming back, you, you can always, uh, push, uh, 
you can always push um, uh, you know the, these guys up to the top and keep Hayward at two. So maybe maybe it's not going to work out for him. But you know Hayward's struggling too. So uh, I just think that there this is one that's going to be in play for a while. Um, and uh, uh, looks like Anders are calling me, so it's about time for us to wrap it up. That's right, and that is going to do it for us today on The Sleeper and the Bust. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.